Our message comes to us today from the book of Proverbs. Several passages follow along with me. The first one is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child. In the way that he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Next is Proverbs 13, verses 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. And do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 22, verses 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 21, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child, for if you strike him, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from shoal. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son. And he will give you rest and he will give delight to your heart. This is the blessed word from our Lord. This is about parenting and family. And we come to the most controversial sermon of them all, I think. And this sermon is about discipline. It uh, raises the most ire. It uh, gets people talking the most because uh, discipline of children is under debate these days. Is it okay to spank? That's the big question, right? Can uh, parents still uh, spank their children? And you will see all kinds of angles on this. And this morning, I must say to you, we'll draw our wisdom from the Word of God. One of our top 10 values is Bible-centered teaching and preaching. We have a high view of Scripture here. We believe what God's Word has to say about every area of life, and it is no different here. And so let's jump right in. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. This is strong language, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now this morning, if you take notes, they're going to be a lot. So just a fair warning. There are a few words that uh, we want to understand. And the first word is diligent. That word in the Hebrew comes from the word to dawn. And, uh, and so it means getting up early and getting after it. If I were to paraphrase this verse, this is how I would say it. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him gets up early in the morning contemplating how he will discipline him. And some of you who are teenagers are thinking, wow, I wish we had skipped this service. Because you're telling my mom and my dad to wake up in the morning and the first thing on their mind is how am I going to discipline my kids today? That's what the verse says. So as a parent, your number one priority is the discipline of your children. 
It's not your workout routine. It isn't your sales numbers. It isn't your children's success. It is their discipline. So what does it look like? Let's look at diligent discipline. It, uh, first of all, diligent discipline understands your child. 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This word train is important here. It literally means to put into the mouth. So what is the image here? What is the message that the writer is trying to communicate? Well, from a food point of view, what you put into your mouth to the most degree determines your physical health. Whatever goes in your mouth is the largest determinant of your physical health. I shared a couple weeks ago that I've started running again. And so it is so interesting to leave my house in the morning, run through town, only to smell the aroma of Bob's Donuts wafting through the air. Like, what is the point? Like, I'm running all over Old Fort and you can just smell them all over town. It would completely cancel out running if I filled my mouth with Bob's Donuts, right? So how does this apply to discipline? Discipline is like food to your children. And however you discipline them to a large degree determines their spiritual and their emotional well-being. However you discipline them to a large degree determines their spiritual and their emotional well-being. It's food in their mouth and it determines how they will live. Diligent discipline understands your child. Train up a child in the way he should go. Scholars disagree on what that phrase means. I fall on the side that it means according to his bent. Train up a child according to his bent. What does that mean? It means that if you have more than one child, they're going to be different, right? They are. Wendy and I have two children. They're both sitting here this morning in this service, Hannah and Trent, and they're as different as daylight and dark, right? They are. They are. Hannah is peace-loving. She wants peace with everybody. And Trent, I love them both, is the bull in the proverbial china shop. It's true. It's true. We have determined as parents, they know this, no surprise to them that our parenting mantra is this. We exist to protect Hannah from others and others from Trent. (laughs) That's what we do every day of our lives. These are our two kids. They're as different as daylight and dark. Hannah will say to us after Trent has gotten in some trouble and I've dug into him, dad, if you ever talk to me like that, I would die. And then she'll say, Trent just sits there. Like, okay. They're so very different, right? That's the way kids are. And so what you do is you become a student of your children. Now, you teenagers are liking my sermon better. All right, so you become a student of your children. You realize what motivates one daughter, what motivates one son, will not necessarily motivate the other. They're very different. 
This morning as you leave, there are some resources out uh, front that you can purchase. This is to help you pray in circles around your children by uh, Mark Batterson. Then there's uh, Parenting by David Tripp. And then I've alluded to this book recently, Pray in the Bible. Unbelievable to trans uh, to transform your time in the Word, I mean your prayer time. Uh, but I'm going to quote from this book right here. The five love languages of children. Many of us have thought about this in marriage, but what about with children? So Alan Michael, our kids pastor, brought this to my attention this week, gave me a couple of quotes. Let me share some with you. Gary Chapman, who writes this, says, You may truly love your child, but unless she feels it, unless you speak the love language that communicates to her your love, she will not feel loved. So one mom said this, uh, uh, Chapman writes, in regards to physical touch to a friend after a seminar. Now, I finally understand Jaden. For years, he has annoyed me by constantly picking at me. When I'm working at the computer, he walks up behind me, puts his hands around my face and covers my eyes. If I walk past him, he reaches out and pinches my arm. If I walk through the room when he's lying on the floor, he grabs my legs. Sometimes he pulls my arm behind me. He used to run his hands through my hair when I was sitting on the couch, although he doesn't anymore since I told him to keep his hands away. He does the same thing to his father, and the two of them usually end up in a wrestling match on the floor. Now I realize that Jaden's primary love language is physical touch. All these years, he has been touching me because he wants to be touched. Or if your language is words of affirmation, he says for children whose primary love language is words of affirmation, nothing is more important to their sense of being loved than to hear parents and other adults verbally affirm them. But the reverse is also true. Words of condemnation will hurt them deeply. Harsh and critical words are are negative words. Such negative words are devastating and they can play those words in their minds for years and years to come. So what is the, the, the other side of this? Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to speak to that a moment, and I'm going to uh, just get a little technical with you. And if I were teaching hermeneutics, this is what I'd say. Hermeneutics, study of Scripture. All right. Proverbs. When you study a book of the Bible, you have to go to that book and determine the meaning that the author intended. The Proverbs are not promises. None of them. They are probabilities. You mustn't forget that as you read them. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? They were not written to be promises. If that were the case, you can look at two that appear to conflict. You can look at two of them and they appear to conflict. Or you can look at them and they guarantee success all the time. You read it and you say, no, it's probable. So what does that mean? If you train up a child in the way he or she should go, it is more likely that when he or she is old, he or she will not depart from it. But there are some of you sitting in the room and say, Jerry, I think I did everything I knew to do. We have had parents here year after year have two kids, godly Loving parents do their very best with both of those kids to have one love the Lord and one walk away. I cannot explain that to you. And I can say to you, is it the parent's fault sometimes? Yes. But at some point, your son or daughter has a will. And at some point, typically between the ages of 18 and 25, they own or disown their faith. They're out from and under your protection. They've got to figure it out. 
And they'll choose. And at that point, I think you do a lot more praying, don't you? And it's 22. You pray loads when you move her at age 18 into her own apartment in Hickory. You begin to pray a whole lot as she steps out on her own. Number two, diligent discipline drives out foolishness. All right, folly is bound up. 2215 in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly. All right, so we've got to clarify the meaning of this word. Why? When I hear the word folly or foolishness or fool, I just think of idiots, right? I think of like people who do stupid things. That's not what the word means. There's another proverb that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no what class? God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Do you know what foolishness the word fool means? Power or preeminence. Power or preeminence. You say, Jerry, what does that mean? Every kid is born wanting to have his or her own what? Way. I want it my way. I want to do what I want to do. Every single child. As a matter of fact, the writer says it's bound up in the, in the heart of your child. Your child wants power. All right, so uh, a couple weeks ago, we got back from Africa. We have been airport to airport. It's 22 hours. It's the last leg. We're in the terminal in Atlanta, and I see this family with a couple little kids running around. I'm going, oh, this is going to be a fun last hour. And so we get on the plane. Thankfully, it's just a little kind of 40-minute, you know, hop from Atlanta to Asheville. And, uh, and so here's a dad. Here's a mom, a two-year-old boy, maybe a little bit older, uh, other kid. And uh, the kid seems to do fine until, until uh, the, the, the steward comes back and says, okay, kid must be buckled for landing. Well, that was about 20 minutes before we landed, maybe 15 And so mom began to buckle the kid. Guess what the kid didn't want? To be buckled before landing. So the kid began to scream. Not murmur, not whine, but scream. Scream. The dad sat there, never said a word, looked over with an occasional glance across the aisle at his wife who's holding their two-year-old. Then he began to slap his mother through the face. He's slapping. He's flailing his arms. She's doing nothing until she speaks. And when she speaks, do you know what she says? What a stupid rule. Oh, now we see why the kid still has folly bound up in his heart. The mom wants power over the airline rule, doesn't she? And the kid wants power over the mom. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I want to say something. I love, I love the millennials, I love the generation that follows the millennials. I, I, I hate it when people say they're all selfish and they're all going to hell. It's such a lie. But I want to say this, that the sector of them who takes to the streets these days and defies authority and breaks out car windows and burns buildings do so. Because folly is bound up in their hearts and in their minds, nobody is going to tell them what to do.
That's what this verse makes clear. It is bound up, intertwined. Now, there are two words used for discipline in Proverbs. One involves physical discipline. The other involves verbal. This, of course, is verbal. Uh, The rod of discipline drives it far from him. Uh, So the debate rages, right? Uh, Should you spank your children? This is such a generational thing, right? So many young people in this church, but I'm just going to put something out here. Just kind of nod or say amen if you know where I'm going with this. All right, so some of you may not have an idea of of physical discipline, but others of you, like, here's what I remember. My dad looking at me and saying, son, go to the woods. Does anybody know where I'm about to go with this? (laughs) Anybody know this? This is merciless. Do you know what came next? Get your own switch. Really? Like, go pick out the instrument you're going to use to terrorize me. Yes. Off to the woods I'd go, searching for the limb that was flimsy, right? You, you don't want the one that's going to rip. And that's when you're grateful to grow up like I did legalistic, right? We could never wear shorts. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Always blue jeans. Cause I was like, yes, thank God for thick, thick Sears and Roebuck blue jeans. So I come back limb in hand. Dad would give me a whipping. Now listen, what an idiot I was. Do you know how much folly was bound up in my heart? Such a strong willed kid. Trent gets it honest. And so I'd look at dad. He'd finished whipping me. I wouldn't shed a tear. It ain't happening. I'd turn around and I'd look at him and say, that didn't hurt. <laughs> that is so dumb. Like if you're in the room and you're, 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 no, like I'll just say advice. And my dad would look at me and say, all right, we can make it hurt. And my brother, who's 18 months older, and my sister, who's 18 months younger, are, are nearby going, dumb, just dumb, fool, you know, foolishness bound up in my heart. And, and so dad would whip me again, right? Um, let me give you just a few pointers. Never use your own hand. So what we did, Mr. No-No, right? Wooden spoon, frowny face. He, he traveled with us. Uh, Our kids hate wooden spoons to this day, but wooden spoon. Number two, this should go without saying, never through the face. Number three, never in anger. Never. Never in anger. Not many things have you done in anger that have been right. Not many. Occasionally you will, right? Righteous anger, those are rare moments. Never in anger. Number four, seldom use. Seldom use. If you're having to whip your children all the time, something's not right. Okay, seldom, seldom use. Meg Meeker, who's a doctor, wrote this on Psychology Today. All right, so this is not any uh, like a Christian website or anything like that. Uh, here's what she has to say. Some of you are going to identify. Listen in. They cry more. They sleep less. Their first, second, and third words are no, no, and no again. Yep, they're the subgroup of little people known as strong-willed kids. Strong-willed kids, after 25 years, I can spot them a mile away. They won't sit on their mom's lap while we chat. And the first thing they spot in my exam room, even though I purposely placed it high on the wall, is the faucet. Once they spot it, they're on. They need a drink, then another and another, and they won't quit asking until they're ready to float away. 
She said, I have a secret. I love strong-willed kids. I know that they drive their moms crazy, but I have the luxury of loving them. After all, I only have to stay in the same room with them 20 or 30 minutes at a time. But here's why I find them fabulous. They're going somewhere. These are the kids that are going to make a difference in the world one day. The trick for me is to make sure that their moms don't kill them before they get there. She gives three tips. Let me give them to you quickly. Learn to channel their stubbornness. I agree with that. If you've got a tenacious child, give that child a lofty goal. And let, let them go after it. Push them to channel that stubbornness toward whatever that is. Number two, fight only two battles at a time. The hallmark of strong-willed kids is trying to have their own way. This means that they will fight you to get it. Any parent knows that this is exhausting and many days end with the feeling that you've had no positive interaction with your children. I talk to parents of young children in this church every week who feel this way. They get to the end of the day and they think, well, this kid was good. But this kid, I feel like I'm only calling them down all the time. And you feel badly about it as a parent. Miss Harris, uh, 80-some years old when she gave me this advice. Trent was quite young and she said, there are many things you, you won't see. I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, you'll see them. But you'll choose not to. Choose your battles. I agree with that. Not every battle is worth fighting. Number three, break the will, not the spirit. She quotes Dr. James Dobson in his book on parenting strong-willed children, refers to bringing the will of the child under obedience. She says, while this sounds harsh, all all it means is that you must teach your child to listen and obey when you mean it. We all have wills which must be disciplined to obey laws. The will is different from the spirit of the child. The spirit is the essence of the child's character, the indefinable part of him which makes him unique. Parents must work hard never to break his spirit through harsh criticism, put-downs, foul language, or shame in him. Healthy discipline occurs when a parent helps a child yield to authority. Break the will. Not the spirit. Number three, diligent discipline saves your child from hell. That's strong, isn't it? Let's look at a few verses there. The rod and reproof, Proverbs 29, 15, and 17, give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight in your heart. Do you know the phrase in there that's haunting to me? A child left to himself. A child left to himself. We have about 70 school teachers in this church. And every one of them can tell you the children who come into their classrooms who have been left to themselves. It's obvious. Last night, Wendy and I went out, did a little Valentine thing, and popped into the mall quickly. We were coming out, coming down the drive there, and there were probably 20 to 30 children. The youngest appeared to be fourth or fifth grade. The oldest appeared to be middle school, maybe late eighth grade middle school. No adult at all. Walking down that drive, turning onto Tunnel Road, unattended, 
no one with them, nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Truett Cathy has written a book called It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. Children left to themselves bring shame to their moms. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. Now this word for discipline is verbal. So there's the physical discipline that the writer refers to, but there's verbal discipline that he talks about. Let me give you a few pointers of verbal discipline. Do not say you're a liar. Don't do that. Say you lied. You say, Jerry, what is the difference? It is one thing to lie. It is another thing to be a liar. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in the room who has never lied? All right, thankfully you didn't start today. So that's good. All right. But just because you've lied, does it make you a liar? No. Unless you lie all the time, you're not a liar. So you say, Jerry, what are you doing? You're calling out the behavior while not breaking the spirit of your son or your daughter. So number one, that. Number two, do not do it in anger. So I have a problem. When I get angry, I you know, physically nothing happens. I'm not that guy. I'm not a fighter. Just, just nothing happens. But my tongue that God can use on a Sunday morning to hopefully bring life to hearers on a Monday afternoon can be devastating when I'm angry. It just can't. Disciplining your children in anger seldom is constructive. Back off, chill out, then speak. Number three, get the facts right. Get the facts right. Just make sure you know what you're talking about before you talk about it. Um, someone shared with this with me. I don't remember who years ago. I think it's helpful here. Uh, they called it an encouragement sandwich. What is an encouragement sandwich? Good quality. You can improve on this. Good quality, right? Put the bitter stuff in between encouragement. That works, by the way, at work. It works in your marriage. It works almost everywhere. To speak the truth in love, don't avoid the truth, but surround it with some encouragement. Tim Kimmel says, calling a child rebellious has the equivalent effect of calling a child that is struggling in school stupid. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then there are verses 13 and 14 of 23. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So I want to ask you a question. How could discipline be so effective that you could potentially save your son or your daughter from hell? That's what the writer is saying here. Here is the reality. Your kid's view of God is first and foremost shaped by their view of you. Whether you like it or not, 
That is the reality. If you give them no boundaries at all, they will assume that God also has no boundaries. If they can push you around, they will assume that they can push God around. If they delight in disrespecting you, if they delight in showing an attitude to you, then they'll shake their fist in God's face too. You are the front line of defense for the presentation of the character of God to your children. You say, well, I didn't sign up for that. It's a little late. It's the reality. So what does that look like? It may surprise you, or perhaps it wouldn't, at the people who trek through my office who are scared of their own children. After the early service, a retired sheriff's deputy came up to me. He said, I was blown away even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, at the number of calls I made to people's houses in this county. And what they needed me to do was to get their child under control. He said, kindergartners, third graders, fifth graders. He said, I couldn't believe it. It was maybe 10 or 12 years ago. This young man, his mom, his dad called me up. And they said, Jerry, we need to meet with you. I didn't know them. I'd never met them. They had never attended church, nor have they here. We need to meet with you. What's going on? It's our son. He's in high school. And uh, we're having some serious problems with with him. And somebody told us, you're good with hard kids. Okay. So they come in. He sits outside my office. The two of them come in. I said, what's going on? He won't respect us. He won't do a thing we say. Everything we tell him, he defies. And then it got to the boiling point. Explain the boiling point to me. Well, it was just two or three days prior. He picked up a five-pound bag of potatoes in the kitchen, launched them at his mother's head. If she had not dodged, he would have injured her badly. I looked at them and I said, what is your son's favorite thing? I already knew the answer to the question. Basketball. He was a gifted basketball player. Started on the high school team here. That's a big deal in a little county like ours. I said, well, basketball's over. And the parents looked at me and went, what? I said, hold up a second. Are you saying to me? To the mom, that you're prepared to go and cheer when your son, who's launching a bag of potatoes at you, scores a basket? Like you're going to go, yay, are you serious? That is the son you're going to cheer? I said, if that's the case, there's nothing I can do for you. She said, we don't know what else to do. I said, basketball goes, that's what you do. She was like, well, okay. Who's going to tell him? 
I said, bring him in, I will. So he comes in unassumedly. He sits there all smug, big dude. I said to him, I said, listen, did you throw a bag of potatoes to your mom? Yeah. No sorrow. I said, well, for that, there's no more basketball for you. What? I said, yeah, there's no more basketball for you. He looked at his mom and dad. He said, are you guys serious? They said, he said it. <laughs> no lie, but thanks. It was in the prep time for basketball, not in the middle of the season. I said, I'd like to meet with you guys next week. We talked about a little contract of behavior. Next week, here they come. Mom, dad, son waited outside. I said, come in. How's he doing? Oh, we got a new son on our hands. I said, what? It's yes, sir. It's no, sir. We haven't seen this in years. I said, are you serious? Yes. Unbelievable. I said, what do you think it is? We took basketball. I said, all right. Son comes in. I said, how are you doing? They're out now. It's just him and me. Do you know what I saw in his face? Parents, hear me. Because there's some of you sitting, listening to me right now. And you're afraid of your kids. And you're giving God a bad rap. Do you know what I saw in his face? Relief. Why? Somebody dared put a fence around that kid. Somebody dared to say no. And he was relieved. I checked in with them then ever so often. That never returned. For whatever reason, that fixed him. So I want to say something. I want to speak to teenagers now. I love you deeply. Our church values you greatly. It is no mistake at this church that I love teenagers more than I love old people. It's true. And our church does. We spend the most of our money on people from the ages of zero to 18. We always have, and by God's grace, we always will. Why? Because when you're my age, don't need it. But when you're 13 and when you're 15, it's critical time for you. We understand that here. But I want to say something to you. It is a right for you to have food and clothes and a roof over your head and a way to get to school. That is your right. If your parents don't provide it, the government will get them. It is not a right for you to have a cell phone. It is not a right for you to have a driver's license. It is not a right for you to have insurance. It is not a right for you to have all these other things. And parents, if you have an out-of-control child, take it. Take it. Met with some folks recently who said, what if they say they're leaving? I said, get a suitcase. (laughs) Ask them which clothes they want. Pack it. Say, Jerry, that's harsh. No, no, let them try it on their own for a little bit. Do not 
live in fear of your kids? Do not. You are in charge and God has put you in charge. This is clear and you will send them straight to hell. If you refuse to discipline them, you say, why? Could you imagine a kid who talks back to his parents all the time, who is disrespectful to his parents and joy in heaven? No. No, that kid would hate heaven. Listen to me, teenagers. If this is what you want, you will go to hell. You will go to hell and you will go there. Why? Because you would despise heaven. You would despise eternal bliss. You would despise joy. You would despise peace. You would despise a Jesus who is in charge and everybody who falls on their knees to worship him. You would despise a people who love one another. Why? Because your heart is filled with hatred and disrespect. Your heart is filled with belligerence and people whose hearts are filled with that don't want to go to heaven they don't want to go to heaven and hell enlarges itself not because god is sending people there but because people want to be in a place like that by their very own actions on planet earth you will save them from hell verse 18 discipline your son uh, chapter 19 for there is still i love this hope do not set your heart on putting him to death let me say this to you the reason there is hope for your son or daughter is because there was another father who had a perfect son and his heart was intent on putting him to death The reason there is hope for your son and your daughter is because the father of all fathers sent his only boy to die for them. Teenagers, the reason there is hope for you is because Christ died for you. How should the reality of the crucified Son of God on a cross for your sins and mine affect the way we parent? Let me give you three things and we're done. Remember this, you're parenting in a fallen world. Jesus had to die because we live in a fallen world. Number two, you are a sinner parenting a sinner. Don't forget that. If the words, I'm sorry, never come out of your mouth then you don't realize your desperate need for Christ. You are a sinner, parenting a sinner. Number three, I love this. Don't you love this? God is willing, powerful, and what? Able. He's never made a case too hard. He is. He is willing, powerful, and able. Say, Jerry, what do I do? Some of you have to have to today because your kids are sitting here with you and I put you as a mom or dad on notice. And they're sitting here right now, maybe angry at me, fine with that. And they're wondering, are you going to go home and be mom and dad? And if you don't, you'll lose them. 
If you don't, they're gone. And then teenagers, you're sitting here and some of you need to thank your parents. You need to say thanks for what I consider to be restrictive, but really was protective. And some of you need to repent and turn from your sin. And escape hell. I love you. I mean that. Dearly. Not easy words today. But necessary. Father.